James chapter 3, we're going to jump right into it this morning. James 3, verses 13 to 19. Turn there if you can. You don't have to. I'm going to put it up right now. We're going to read it together. Um, you listen to me as I read it. Read along with me quietly. James chapter 3, verses 13 to 19. You guys ready? Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James begins this stretch by asking us a question, who is wise among you? And I don't think James is looking for a show of hands. Sometimes, a lot of times, I ask a question of you, our congregation, and I'm expecting a show of hands. I don't think James is when he writes to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. First of all, they weren't in the same room together. But secondly, I think it's somewhat of a rhetorical question, similar to that question, who wants to be a millionaire? Not looking for a show of hands. If we were, what hand wouldn't go up, right? Everybody wants to be a millionaire. And similarly, and though conversely, here's a question from James. Who is wise among you? And James asked the question, and then he goes to Missouri, the show me state. And he says, ah, if you are going to raise your hand, then show me. Show me by your good contact, uh, contact, conduct in the meekness of wisdom. That word meek is a word that's problematic for us today because nobody wants to sign up for meekness. We want to rule. We want to reign. We want to win in this game. We want to be strong and we assume that meekness is a lack of strength. But in scripture, it's just the opposite. In Numbers 11, Moses is called the most meek man. If you know anything about the life of Moses, Moses was a man. Jesus describes himself in Matthew 11 as being meek. But James, with this question here, who is wise among you, is asking one that I hope will penetrate us today. Who is wise among us? Who is wise? We're intelligent, but are we wise? We, we've done a lot, mankind. We've discovered things. We've plumbed the ocean depths, and we've gone to the vastness of the solar system. We've mapped the human gene. We've even given an elephant a prosthetic leg. Anybody see that this week? Here's a picture, I believe we have it, of Moshe, an adult elephant. But when Moshe was a baby elephant at seven months old, Moshe, who lives in Thailand, stepped on a landmine. And she lost one of her legs on the Burma border. And this is one of nine artificial legs that Moshe has been given through her years. As a baby elephant at seven months old, when she stepped on the landmine, she weighed 1,400 pounds. Now she weighs 4,600 pounds and still growing. Isn't that amazing? First of all, isn't that mankind? We're the ones who creates the quarrels and the wars, James chapter 4, that creates the landmines in the first place. But mankind steps up and says, let's bring health and healing to this beautiful creature. We're smart people. We've discovered and labeled things in the physical realm. We've done a lot. We can give an elephant a prosthetic leg. We're intelligent, but are we wise? 
In October, I've got a birthday coming up that will tell everybody I'm getting really, really old. Can you believe, and I want y'all to gasp with surprise, can you believe I'll be 50 in October? It's unbelievable. Now, I've had a lot of work done, granted, but I will be 50 this October. And I look around as a 50-year-old, I get to hang out with a lot of professionals, a lot of people who have degrees, who have success and external trappings, who are very, very intelligent, far more intelligent than most. But are they wise? Am I wise? James, I've told you probably each and every week, James in some ways is a New Testament parallel to the book of Proverbs. It's just chock full with practical wisdom. Seems to change the subject a lot, which is great, but it just goes bam, bam, bam and talks about a lot of, a lot of good, really practical things. Harkening back to Proverbs, when, it, when we ask this question, who is wise among you? Solomon gives us a few different kinds of people in the book of, of, of Proverbs when it comes to answering the question, who is wise? He says there are people who are simple. Number one, there are people who are simple. Number two, there are people who are the fool. And then there, are, there is the mocker, the simple, the fool, and the mocker. The simple person simply doesn't know. The simple person, if, if you're a note taker, you could put young, naive, clueless next to simple. Solomon talks to his son and he wants other young man to hear. And he, he talks about how, you know, there's this young man and he's going to something and he thinks it's just going to be a great time. He thinks he's heading to a lot of fun. But he says, no, you're like an, an ox to the slaughter. You're like a deer to the noose. You're like a bird to the snare. You have to be careful. You see, the simple, they just don't know. Young, naive, clueless. They just need to be told. Write down Proverbs 7 there. The simple. Over the last few weeks, we have... We've, we made a summons, Jeff Hightower did, made a summons to, for some folks, for t probably some young men to come to our church and to help us haul some stuff and scrub some stuff, clean some stuff, move some stuff. We've had several young men working on our third floor and it's made me very happy they've done some demolition work. What young man doesn't want to knock down some walls, right? But I learned just a few days ago that one of the young men got sent home. Short term, very temporary summer job, put a little money in their pocket, but I learned a few days after the fact that one of these young men from, from the inner city had said some things crude and very rude and sexually suggestive about one of our staff women in the building. It was overheard by several and repeated. And the staff, independent of my knowledge, made a decision to send this young man home. And our pastor who was just up here, Nick Crawford, I learned, drove him home. He was sent to us by the We Will Go Ministries. And Nick drives him home, and the young man said to him in the car ride home, he said, I can't believe I got sent home. And Nick has an opportunity to talk to him and say to him, you can't talk to women like that. You can't talk about women like that. And let me give you some advice. One day you're going to want a real job, a long-term job, a more meaningful job. And you certainly can't talk to or about women like that in the workplace. The young, 
many times just don't know. The young need to be instructed, loved, and cared for. The second category beyond the simple is the fool. Now, the simple doesn't know, but the fool knows, but what? Doesn't care. The fool doesn't care. Proverbs, again, gives us a very visual picture of this in Proverbs 26, 11. It says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. A little gross, but you get the point, right? A fool repeats things. If you're here today and you have an area or more than one area where you're saying, That's, it's, it's my life and I'm going to do what I want. I'm not going to listen to others. I know it's wrong, but what? But I don't care. You're going to repeat that to your eventual undoing. Where what the simple person needs is time and instruction. You see, the simple person, they have something that the older person lacks, experience. But the fool knows and should know better, but doesn't care. Not only does the fool repeat and repeat and repeat to his or her undoing, but the fool brings harm to others. When we're at our worst, whether we're explicit or implicit, whether we're openly defiant or passively rebellion with it, and we say, it's my life, it's my body, it's my time, it's my money, it's my schedule, it's my life, I'm doing this and I'm not hurting anybody. Consider Proverbs, Proverbs 13, 20. It says that a fool, a companion of fools, I'm sorry, a companion of fools suffers harm. Spouse, parent, boyfriend, girlfriend, roommate, close friend. When someone's living in a very foolish way, they're not just harming themselves, they're harming other people. Who's wise among us? Solomon would say, there's the the simple man, there's the foolish one, and then there's the mocker. And the mocker, to state it simply, is the fool on steroids. They're not just careless, they're callous. They're cynical. They're critical, they're controlling, they're condescending. Proverbs 9.8 says this about the mocker. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. You know what's interesting? Look at this later in Proverbs 9. It says to do what? It says to rebuke the mocker. Well, which is it? Rebuke the mocker or don't rebuke the mocker? That's the point. With a mocker, you can't win. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show. Let him show it with his good conduct in the meekness of wisdom. Ephesians chapter 5 says this vital thing about wisdom. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. A few things there, verse 15 to 16 in particular. Look carefully how you walk. Make the best use of your time because the days are evil. Let me say this biblically about the days that you have in front of you. Before we get to the days are numbered, I want to tell you, or the days are evil, I want to tell you that the days are numbered. Look at Job chapter 14 and verse 5. A person's days are determined. You, you being God, have decreed the number of his months and have set limits he cannot 
exceed. With a heavy heart, I tell you this week, we lost a good man. Our brother Mike Baldwin passed away a week ago. Today I got the text from my friend and his close brother, Gary Hawkins, that said, Mike is dead. I joked with Gary this week that there could have been a softer way to say that. But is there really? We watched Mike suffer for a little while. I was so thrilled when I saw Mike Baldwin years ago at Fondren Church. He was still going to another church, but he tagged along with us. He would show up. He first started coming when, when our church was over at Dueling Hall. And he would go to that early church and he would come in to our service, which I think was our second service. And Mike would say to me, man, I just heard a great sermon. I hope, you're, I hope you don't screw it up. To which I would tell Mike, man, you're the kind of guy that needs to hear two sermons every Sunday. And if there's another church nearby with a service after this, you need to go hear that sermon. Mike was 66 years old, only 66 years old. Now, I understand in a group this size, some of you are like 66, woo, over the hill. Can I tell you how young that is? My brother, our brother John Maxwell lost his mom this week. Over 100 years old. Now, that's old. Any way you look at that, that's old. 66, Mike was born in 1950. He's a 19, like Gary Hawkins in the crew, a 1968 uh, class member of Canton High School. Before the funeral that I preached, I stood with some of those men and I listened to them talk. I listened to them talk about their class and who went to state and who went to Ole Miss and who went to Millsaps and who's still alive. And I listened to Wayne and Billy, some guys talk, who were also 66 years old, who stood there with me to grieve Mike. I said, this is our 14th person that we've lost in our class. It's going to happen to all of us. When we talk about wisdom, I want to tell you what the Bible tells us. Your days are numbered. But I also want to tell you what Paul said in Ephesians. The days are evil. Now, Nod, help me out. Do you believe the days are evil? They were evil back then. Now, that, that, that flows, comes to us from Ephesians. Just study the city of Ephesus and you'll see evil. But I think for us, there's the evil that's in our day is just so accessible. Have you, have you realized you don't have to go looking for trouble? It winks and nods and beckons and allures from every billboard and every screen, tablet, TV, computer. And we live in a world where we interface with sensuality and gluttony and greed like never before. And as Americans, we're the most overweight, overindulgent, overleveraged folks ever, it seems. Zero percent financing. Buy one, get one free. 30-day risk-free trial. The titles of the movies will not be listed on your hotel billing statement. The days are evil, and it reminds me, this world in which we live is sort of like that grassy area right outside my kitchen door where my dog goes out and does his business. If you're not careful, you're going to step in it. Now, I'm being a little gross to drive the point home, right? But look, what does Paul say about wisdom? Look carefully at how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. The days, your days, they're numbered. 
in these days that we live in are evil. And you and I, we got to be careful. Now, if you were to outline James, I, I talked to a young man this week, actually last week, who said, man, when I come to Funnel Church, I just take notes. Whatever church I'm at, I just love to take notes. So if you're here today or if, some, if you're like him, do this. Just take out that sheet of paper that you have and write, write on the left column up top, write unwise. And to the right, write the word wise. And to the left, the extreme most left column, write signs. And then jump down and write characteristics. And then write results. And here's what we just looked at in James. He talks about the unwise. And what does he say are the signs of the unwise? Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And what are the characteristics? You could list them as five. Arrogance, dishonesty, earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Did you get that? The signs of the unwise, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. The characteristics, arrogant, dishonest, earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And what does James say are the results of that? He says the results of that is disorder or confusion and every evil thing. The results of the unwise disorder or confusion in every vile practice or every evil thing. Now to the right, you've written the word wise. What are the signs of a life of wisdom? Write good deeds. You may want to write good deeds done in humility. Isn't that just like James? Don't just talk about it. Don't raise your hand when I ask who's wise because you got to show me by how you're actually living. Don't be like James chapter one. Don't be like the man who just looks in the mirror and then he forgets about it, right? But be like the one who looks intently and he receives the word and planted it in him. He remembers it and he responds correctly. Don't be deceived. You, your feet have to follow your heart and your heart has to be made right by Jesus. What is the sign of the wise life? Good deeds. Good deeds done in humility. What are the characteristics? He gives us eight here. First, pure, peaceful, peaceful, gentle. What else does he say? You guys have an open Bible there? Pure, peaceful, gentle. There's, there's meekness there. There's impartiality. There's sincerity. There's Merciful, there's fruitful. I think I might have mentioned nine, eight. There's actually eight. But James says, here are the results. Here are the characteristics of someone who's doing the good things. Who's not just hearing the word, but he's applying it to his life. Pure, peaceful, gentle, reasonable. It's going to impact. It's going to make a difference. You're going to be able to see it. And others are going to be able to see it in your life as well. So on the unwise side, I want to just take, I want you to write one word over, kind of summing all that up. Write the word me. Write the word me. A study was done recently that I found so fascinating. It was a study led by five very reputable, reliable psychologists and they, they looked at the NPI, the Narcissistic Personality Inventory, which is a diagnostic test on social behavior that's been around for decades. Now, narcissism, as most of you know, 
it, it flows from Greek mythology and it has to do with just our selfishness, our egotism, our conceit. And this test, this NPI, they did a study of 16,470 people from 1982 to 2009. And the respondents had to rate, had to give different ratings on statements or questions like, I am very special. If I ruled the world, the world would be better. It's my life. I can do what I want to. And here is the very disturbing trend. The disturbing trend is their conclusion is that our high school and college students are more narcissistic today than ever. That we are with grave consequences going to begin to reap what we have sown and going way overboard talking about the special nature of all the children to the detriment of responsibility personal responsibility and social public responsibility. Narcissism, those, the, the thoughts of our selfishness and our egotism and our conceit always has to do with how it's reflected socially. Their findings, they taught a little bit about their findings and they said that the narcissistic personality disorder, that narcissists themselves in romantic relationships have, they lack emotional warmth, those relationships will last much shorter. They're more prone to infidelity. They have greater risk for controlling compulsive and violent expressions of behavior. And I look at that study in our day and our, of our young people. And I think, look at what James said so long ago. Me. Bitter jealousy. Selfish ambition. Arrogance, dishonesty, it's, it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. And the result, confusion, disorder, every evil practice. Now on the other side of all those things that he mentions, the characteristics of the wise life, pure and peaceable and gentle, merciful, impartial, sincere, right down open to reason or reasonable. Most of us think, that we're reasonable people, don't we? It's the person you're sitting next to that's just so unreasonable at times. Open to reason. As I studied James chapter 3 this week, that's what stood out to me. Open to reason. And here's what I want to say. First of all, I want to ask you, are you open to reason? Here's what I've learned. Very few people like to be told what to do. It's why when we're young, we can't wait to leave home and strike out on our own. You, in many ways, disregarded your parents' advice back then, and now you're disregarding good advice now. We don't want to be told what to do. And you know what I found? We are especially, uh, I'm getting older and I'm a pastor, and I'm telling you the truth. We are especially resistant to three vital areas where we are most vulnerable, how we allocate our time, how we spend our money, and how we handle our relationships. I read yesterday where a friend was talking about the cynicism of marriage in our day, and we look and we see all the divorces and we think, we conclude marriage doesn't work. And the wise person needs to look at that and says, no, the problem is we don't work at our marriages. I talk to single people 
And through the years, many, many single people have said to me, why do these relationships all end the same? And I will have a conversation with them. And I I tell them a lot of times they end the same because they started the same and they were conducted the same way. And we tend to think that switching relationships will make it better. I went a few, a couple of months ago and I bought a new set of golf clubs. It didn't help me. (laughs) My swing is my swing. She didn't know I bought the golf clubs till she saw it on our credit card statement, but that's another talk for a marriage sermon, right? It didn't help her, it didn't help me. And we treat our relationships like our golf clubs or our tennis rackets or our baseball bats and we think switching equipment will give us a good swing. Hey, it's July the 3rd, you came to church today. I might as well meddle a little bit. But some of us are here. And you're living the very way that I'm telling you about. You're especially resistant to one of these areas. How you allocate your time, how you spend your money, or how you handle relationships. And you need to be open to reason. And can I say that nobody is beyond receiving wise counsel. It took me a few years into this thing to realize that every pastor needs a pastor. I used to say that, and can I tell you, now I know. Every pastor needs a pastor. And I'm not saying that I'm even remotely successful, but I'm gonna tell you what I've learned through observation. The more success that you find, the more you need wise counsel. Susan asked me months ago, about three months ago, why is this weighing on you? I had a decision. I had a decision that I had to make and it was weighing on me. And she said, why is it weighing? You've you've prayed, you've sought counsel from scripture, you've sought counsel from others. She quoted Proverbs 15, 22 to me as if I need somebody to quote scripture to me, right? That was over the top. But she said, why are you worried? I said, the decision I make, there's so much at stake. And can I tell you, I never make a big decision without going to some people that I really admire really trust even then it can be hard so on the unwise side you've written the word me you know what you have to be careful of me not me but you I got to be careful of me you need to be careful of you that's your greatest enemy prone to bitter jealousy selfish ambition the result of that confusion every evil practice you're opening the door up if your life is about you now everybody's sitting there going oh no narcissistic personality and that's not me at all I'm not a narcissist I'll tell you who is a narcissist but listen the scripture teaches us that it is wound up in your heart that selfish nature anybody parenting young kids Talk to me. Come up and preach that sermon, right? It's wound up in the heart of these little creatures. They're they're beautiful creatures. But they've got this me, me, me stuff wound up in them. And so do you. So do I. Are you today open to reason? I want you to bow.
whatever posture is best for you to pray. Before we pray together, I want to close by reading something. It's in a section of a book with the title, The High Cost of Low Living. Newsweek has a weekly section called My Turn, where average people submit a slice of their life for publication. Several years ago, I read the story of Judy Edelson, a 45-year-old woman who wrote about her experience. She titled the article, Not All Bridges Can Be Burned. She writes, when I was younger, I thought my past didn't mean anything. I thought things left undone, things said in haste, niceties ignored and laws broken were not important. I used to laugh at my mother telling me that will go on your permanent record. I thought I had no permanent record. I was young and had a long full lifetime in which to make mistakes and explore endless possibilities. I meandered around with drugs, I played the hippie. I won't tell you how many times I've been married but it's more than the prerequisite American number of two. Never was there a moment's concerned about the possibility of these events coming back to haunt me later because there was no later just now. One day I looked around and I was 40. The next day I was 45. I looked ahead and I could see 50. Today I have a daughter of my own and I find myself weary of telling her about the dangers of foolish living based on my life. Sometimes I hold my breath when I have to put down a name on a reference list worrying that person may know what, what that person may know about me, what they may think about what, me, what they may say about me. And that comes from foolish living. I used to have the attitude that I didn't care what other people thought about me. It was my life and I was going to live it. Everywhere I turn, my past keeps coming up in polite conversations, job applications, and mommy, what did you do during the war? Which is what my precious angel asked me one day. I honestly replied, oh honey, I got stoned and I missed the war. Then I had to explain to her that I didn't mean, that, that people threw rocks at me, but that I didn't mean that people threw rocks at me, but that I'd lived my life in a slow stupor. I wore sandals and see-through shirts. I talked at great length with utter conviction about things of which I knew absolutely nothing I wanted to appear wise. A consequence of foolish living is having to choose my words carefully, being cautious not to reveal embarrassing elements of my past. Conversations about my college years are restricted to courses of study. Ex-husbands have been transformed in a friend I used to have, an old boyfriend of mine. I don't want my daughter to think that getting married and divorced is no big deal. I don't want her to make the same mistakes and experience the same heartache that accompanies an off-the-cuff, unthoughtful lifestyle. So your life history is your permanent record. You can't shake it. You may be able to redeem it. But given my druthers, I would have written my permanent record with forethought and careful planning and skipped the would'ves, could'ves, and should'ves. You really can't burn your bridges. They are there even if you change your name and move to a new address. It affects everything you do and hope to become. The Bible has a word for people who get it right in life. And it's not wealthy, successful, attractive, or even intelligent. The word is wise.